welcome to another episode of the Tales and Tunes podcast with me, Ben Mielhaus. This week we get up close and personal with a Colorado native and Denver veteran, Brian Stevens. Kicking this week's podcast off is B Tsunami's number one track pick of the week, entitled Lost in the Process, produced by Afkit and Thomas Gandy, remix done by Veba. Here we go. Thank you. 
Welcome, folks, friends, and family to another episode of the Tales and Tunes podcast. This week, we have a Colorado veteran in the house. A born and raised Colorado native with over 15 years of experience behind the decks. One of the most down-to-earth dudes the Denver techno scene has to offer, Mr. Brian Stevens. Brian, thanks for being on the podcast, man. Thanks for having me. Thinking back, I think the first time we actually met was, well... We were, like I was saying earlier, the first time I saw you play was when you opened for uh, uh, Woody McBride when he was in town for Thanksgiving last year. So we're coming on a year, the first time I know I saw you DJ. But the first time we actually met, my birthday uh, last January, That's I had right. uh, my birthday was coming up. And uh, the, the, the night of my birthday was the Thursday night at Opal that the Hemisphere Groove guys were doing. Uh, Alex and... Alex and... Brian, yeah, they're great guys. They're great guys. I was super stoked to be asked to play that night with them. Mm -hmm. And uh, when you contacted me to say it was your birthday and you wanted to jump in, more the merrier. It's mm -hmm. a fun, really small venue to play and super good vibe. Yep, yep. Yeah, it was, it was just super cool. Like, uh, I mean, just the being that was the first time how I met you and how open you were to the idea. It was just, it was, it was super cool to to meet someone that way and and just jam on the decks all night. So. Since then, uh, we we have played uh, the, one other show together, the, the first Too Deep to Sleep party at uh, Fusion Factory. That was a good time. Yeah, yeah. You and me and uh, RJ Pickens from Chicago, as well as... Jan Van Leer closed Jan the night out. Yeah, yeah. Good good little lineup we had there. Yeah, that was <laughs> and, a good uh, time this year. Yeah, totally. And it's kind of funny, too. I just realized Jan was the, other, was the first podcast I did, so... I have two of the people from that lineup on the podcast already, so... Yeah, it's solid. Mm-hmm, definitely. He's one of my best bros in Denver. Tons of respect for that guy. Another awesome dude. So, yeah, what, uh, what, what's been new in the life of Brian Stevens? Anything... Well, how, did, how was your Halloween? Uh, my Halloween Even though I was, did see you. <laughs> my Halloween was pretty good. I, I played a party that wasn't very strongly attended. Uh, it was actually on the 1st of November... On Halloween night proper, I went out and saw some other DJs and had some good times. Was really, really excited to catch uh, Emily, another uh, Denver legend. She's amazing. I love every set I've ever heard her play. First time I ever heard her play was back uh, maybe 2001 or 2002, opening for the Crystal Method oh, shit. at a nightclub down uh, in the southern part of Denver. Uh, southern meaning like almost like Highlands Ranch. Oh, damn. And uh, super crazy place. Used to have a real big nightclub out there. She opened for them. That was the first time I ever heard her. I'd heard her name before that. And uh, yeah, she's just awesome. Every time I've ever heard her play, plays a little different style of music. Every show I've ever heard her play. And she just dominates. She's one of the strongest, most versatile, technically perfect, fun DJs to hear. So I got to catch... Last little bit of her set. Where did she uh, play? Uh, she played at the Funky Buddha. Oh, okay. Uh, where I used to be a resident at. Yeah, and, that's right. uh, Had fun there. Before that, I went to uh, this crazy DJ slash Burning Man veteran party at a real tiny bar up around uh, I-70 in Washington. Was that the Fantastic Host? No, it wasn't no. Fantastic Host. This is a real small deal, but it was super fun. And we went there, and when we walked in... They were rocking full-on 80s tunes, mixing, like, old 80s club hits, like, before, the, like, the whole, you know, birth of house music really, you know, spread out anywhere. Mm -hmm. And that was, that was pretty awesome and funny. 
and I was there with a couple of new friend and an old friend, and uh, we yeah we just got a little weird and crazy, and then went over to the funky boot and hit that, and then I hit an after party where a couple other really good old uh, veteran DJ friends of mine were playing at a house that they had basically decided to start partying Thursday afternoon and went all the way through Sunday of Halloween <laughs> weekend. And I, I went in there and I, I only caught maybe eight hours of that and then I had to go to work the next day. Uh, <laughs> kind of love those days. But I had, yeah, I, I, I made it and everything was cool. And uh, yeah, we had, a, we had a good Halloween. Awesome. Yeah, I went to uh, Friday night uh, well, first I should say, uh, me and my roommate, Harry, had, uh, had some awesome costumes lined up. We were going to be, uh, Harry and Lloyd from, uh, Dumb and Dumber, uh, the, the tuxedos, the orange and yellow tuxedo. Yeah, I saw your posts on the yeah. Facebook. You guys ended up taking a different route. Yeah. Well, the weekend before I ordered them online and I was, I was like excited for them to come in the mail and was waiting all week and what didn't didn't get like a tracking number or anything the money came out of my account and like but I there was no sign that they were coming and then finally on Friday like I looked at my bank account and the money had been put back into my account that I paid for them Ouch. so basically it was like yeah you're not getting your costume but we're not going to let you know we'll just give your money back and hopefully you won't complain so I ran around all day trying cuz I thought they might have them at those costume stores but it, there was no luck it was just uh so we had to come up with a backup plan. So we ended up being uh, uh, Chip and Chippendale dancers instead, and we uh, decided our names were Trip and Fail for <laughs> since we since we had to make up for our costumes. So th those went over well, but I'm I'm still kind of butt hurt that those costumes didn't come because I was kind of looking forward to having that in my in my wardrobe for that's, future future. That's how I knew you and me would get along when I first met you. You've got a, a good similar sense of humor, a good way to roll things off your shoulders. Yeah. Yeah, definitely, man. Uh, but yeah, so yeah, we went to Carlo Leo that night and he just slammed the, the lounge at beta. It was, it was pretty awesome. Um, and then Friday night, yeah, I came out and caught your set at the funky Buddha. And then we, we, me and my girlfriend proceeded to go to five parties within the night <laughs> That so, was that was a long night. I yeah. uh, I I didn't get any sleep, uh, and uh, ended up going to work on that Saturday. And uh, through coffee and proper nutrition, actually managed to make my way uh, through my set on that Saturday night on November first, and felt great. <laughs> and ended up doing after party stuff after there at the Fusion Factory. Yeah. Oh, that's another thing too. I. Uh... Saturday night, I randomly, a half hour before I played, they needed someone to fill in a fusion factory, and they just called me in a panic. They were just like, oh my god, we forgot about the time change. We need someone to sit in for an hour, and I was like, I'll be there. Wow. <laughs> so I went to the fusion factory and played a Halloween party yeah. just randomly at the last minute. So I had a great time fun. at the fusion factory, and then I ended up getting a big posse of people coming back over here to my apartment, and uh, we ended up rocking, mixing records. Until about 6 p.m. that Sunday afternoon. Wicked. <laughs> yeah, right up into the early evening. We got to the point, like, new people kept uh, messaging and coming over, being like, oh, you guys are playing records? I want to come over. And uh, so, yeah, we had other people coming in, and I would just kind of step in and out and tag team and pull vinyl out of my big collection for everybody. And we ended up, uh, you know, changing the party from all the, the, the techno and the tech house that we heard all through the night into uh 
going crazy for uh, progressive house and old uh, progressive break beats. Ooh, nice. All the way through until about six o'clock. So big out. props to Smiley and Zane and uh, all the other people that were over at my house for the the bring Halloween all the way into almost the third of November. <laughs> My house is still dirty because of that party, but it was a good time. Yep, it is the rave holiday of the year for a reason. So. Absolutely. <laughs> well, cool, man. Any uh, any good plan? Any plans for Thanksgiving? Ah, uh, right now I'm kind of laying low. I actually uh, told a couple people that invited me to play some sets that I wanted to 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 just kind of focus on doing some homework. I have really neglected my my internet presence for the last couple years. So uh, I let my SoundCloud account expire, and my MixCloud account has totally been uh, ignored. And so I just actually want to sit down and not DJ gigs for a few weeks and put up some good sets for people and really cool. get some things going on and get my name back out there and actually uh, maybe think about starting an artist page on Facebook and just actually start to care a little bit more about putting my name out there. I'm always happy to DJ what anybody ever asked me to. Mm -hmm. And I've been DJing long enough. I feel confident doing an opener set or a middle slot or a closing or headline, whatever. I love to do all the spots. I really yeah, appreciate for every. Position, uh, yeah, I, I appreciate you know? the 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 purpose of each one of those sets. And uh, my good friend Tony Ridelli actually really reminded me. I played with him at Beta uh, earlier this spring, and. Uh, there was no one there when I opened, and so I got a little cheeky and decided I just wanted to see what that Function One sound system up in the lounge could do. <laughs> so I started my set a little hard, and uh, he really reminded me after the set, like it came off well. By the time we started to get some crowd in there, I brought my vibe actually down a little bit into getting them more into the groove, and ended up being able to to carry things back up again in intensity and energy level to give Tony a good platform to leap off of uh, to headline the night. But uh, I talked to him afterward, and he was like, yeah, man, you played a little hard. And it just really reaffirmed for me. It's like, yeah, you know, I'm sorry, buddy. I, I got a little cheeky. I just wanted to see what those speakers did. And uh, there, there was seriously, when I started to play, there were two other people in the room. And so I, I took some liberties. But now I've, I've kind of regrounded myself to really appreciate the responsibility and the, the purpose of what each segment, no matter how many DJs you have going on, you have to look at your time slot. You have to play to the clock. It's not mm -hmm. necessarily you playing for how many people are there as much as you playing for what's appropriate to actually help everyone on the team. The mm -hmm. promoter, the other DJs, the, the people the running the visuals sure. or the lights, the bartenders, everyone. You're trying to play to sculpt the attitude of the night. The atmosphere. Capture and, the atmosphere. Yeah, and that's what's really got me looking forward to trying to put up a little bit more of an internet presence is, you know building back up a SoundCloud account where I can have three or four different sets put up to show versatility through those different kinds of flavors. Mm -hmm. And I'm really just looking forward to getting back to those basics and really respecting the fact that I had some amazing people influence me and teach me about the craft of DJing, notwithstanding even all the amazing parties I ever went to that made me want to first start being a DJ. And once I started to learn the nuts and bolts of the craft, to appreciate even more DJs then that I would see playing different nights out what they were doing for their different spots. Not mm -hmm. every spot can be a headliner. Every DJ loves to think about being a headliner, but so important to really give that honor to 
every every time slot in the night Absolutely, and i want to just get back to those basics and really show that i do appreciate and love that and mm -hmm. uh definitely don't ever want to make anybody think that all i ever do is just bang away at stuff mm -hmm. even if it's just nine o'clock at night Absolutely. i know how to play smooth and mellow and deep yep that's exactly how you should look at it man totally uh where where so where are you were you born you were you're a colorado native we already said once yeah my uh my dad was an air force officer and pilot when i was born i was actually born at the air force academy hospital in colorado springs wow. um, born and raised in colorado springs for the most part i definitely uh relocated and moved around a little bit but my dad uh left the air force a few years after i was born so i wasn't necessarily like a military brat or anything mm -hmm. like that my parents both just loved colorado springs the the nature, the tone of the town at that time, and uh, just the, the beauty of Colorado. And so after moving around a little bit after my dad left the Air Force, uh, my parents really wanted to get back, and my dad took the first chance and the first job that he could get to get us back there. And so for most of my life, I, I, I've lived in Colorado. I've lived mm -hmm. a few other places, but uh, Colorado's my home. I've actually had the good fortune to actually have traveled through all 50 states. Nice. Yeah, pretty amazing. I actually hit that mark. Then it traveled through all 50 states by the time I was 24 years old. Damn. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I had a lot of luck. Uh, in college, I was a, a sponsored year. snowboarder and mm. uh, ended up turning pro. And so that covered a lot of ground for me. Family vacations. When was this trips. then? Oh, man. It's been years. I'm an old broken guy now. Mm -hmm. um, I uh, got sponsored snowboarding when I was 16. So you're in high in school. High school. Okay. And uh, went kind of semi-pro by the time I was about 17 and a half, almost 18. Turned pro at 19, my sophomore year in college. And rode pro until I had been out of college for about eight months. And then I suffered a real bad career-ending injury. And that transition in my life just ended. But it offered me a lot of travel. And been to every podunk little crappy snowboard and skiing area on the mm -hmm. East Coast. Been all the crappy little spots all through the Midwest. Oh, Just really? arrived with a couple You've old Midwesterners. Like exactly. Oh my god. Yeah, or a uh, chestnut. Been to all of them. <laughs> been to all of them. Yeah, rode with a lot of guys that actually moved out to the mountains from Midwestern places that actually really excelled at it. And so the various teams that I rode on my boot team, my board team, my clothing team, mm. my optics team, binding team, like. Wow. You get a lot of sponsors. Also, you start to meet all these other fun kids at that time. It was a really amazing adventure to grow up. But, uh, you know, at the same time, that uh, also really speaks to the fact that I did not grow up with electronic dance music. Mm -hmm. That is for sure. I grew up punk rock. Me too. <laughs> I bought my first Ramones album when I was in the sixth grade. Bought my first Dead Kennedys album when I was in the sixth grade. My parents did not know what to think. <laughs> so long as I didn't play it loud enough to irritate them, they were pretty okay with it. So mm -hmm. I definitely uh, spent a lot of time in my room growing up when I was at home, mm -hmm. just listening to my music and just getting into the, the politics and the, the snarky social commentary. And that led me on to a big love for metal, too. And uh, mm -hmm. that's, that's the music I grew up with. And that was the soundtrack of my life until I was about 24. Mm. And uh, when I ended my snowboarding career and got hurt, got really, really frustrated because I had, I had recently graduated from college, graduated from college in December of 95, and uh, all of a sudden, your whole life, you're a student, and then my identity as a student was over, 
now you have to go on and be something else in life because you're not a student anymore. And I also had done a lot of different sports, and I definitely wasn't particularly good at all of them. There's a lot of them I really struggled at because I was never naturally athletically talented. Mm-hmm. The only reason I ever got good at anything is because I was that stubborn kid that wanted so bad to do or have something that I was willing to take the lumps. Uh, but I got really good at skateboarding, got really good at snowboarding, and ended up getting some uh, some benefits from that and some good opportunities. And then all of a sudden, all that ended about six or eight months after I graduated from college. I broke my right heel sheer in half. Ugh. Ended up in the hospital for a good long time. Got dumped off my snowboard sponsor. Ugh. Stuck with uh, about 68 grand in medical bills because getting kicked off your team also nullifies your insurance policy. Oh my God. So, had to move back in with my mom and dad and deal with a real severe injury and get a job to start trying to pay off these giant medical bills that I had. Mm-hmm. And uh, through that time, I was so frustrated and my identity as an athlete, my identity as a student, all this stuff was gone. I just adrift and just like, wow, all these things you're on the top of the hill with. All these things you're great at. All of a sudden, all that rug just got pulled right out wow. from under me and I was so frustrated and was adrift and I always loved the energy and the aggression and the, 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 just the bombastic quality of punk rock and metal music. And I got to this point in my life where I was just so down about everything and so lost about what I was going to do. I really got tired of music that yelled and had negative things to say. Just so much bad stuff going on in my life. I didn't know what to do. And so I, I honestly, I went down to the local really cool record store that was down in uh, Colorado Springs where I had to move back in with my mom and dad and just went up to the first salesperson like, dude, look, here's my deal. I used to, you know, grew up punk and metal and all these shows, this music has been my life. It's always been the outlet for me and now I can't hear it anymore and I need something to turn to. And the salesperson turned me on to Bjork and poured his head. And I bought a couple CDs and took them home. And both both of those artists, Portishead and Bjork, the, the production quality is so amazing. You put mm-hmm. that stuff on a good stereo and hear the depth and how tough the drums are and how emotional the, the vocals and everything. And it definitely raised an eyebrow, kind of you know perked my ear up and started getting into exploring more of that kind of down-tempo. And back then they used to call it trip-hop. Mm-hmm. Nobody uses that word anymore, but back then that was revolutionary. And I uh, started kind of accepting some of that. At the same time, I was really still into indie indie rock and roll bands. Real big in a John Spencer Blues Explosion, mm-hmm. Afghan Wigs. Seen those band, that band a couple of times. They're amazing. I'm, I'm super excited. I heard that they got back together. Oh, we just missed... Uh, the Afghan Wicks playing here this summer. They played at the Bluebird. Oh, they I was did? so bummed. I found out about that show the day after. Uh, yeah, super I disappointing. <laughs> I some of my best times were listening to you know good indie rock kind of stuff like that too. Real dark and emotive, but not quite just so angry and yelling as is all the punk and the metal. Mm-hmm. And uh, then I met a girl and we fell in love and decided we we're going to move to Denver and try and make our way up there. And I started kind of fixing my head a little bit and getting a little bit more right with things. And we got up here and it wasn't, but maybe a couple months after we moved to Denver, and this is back early 1996, mm-hmm. maybe mid 1996. And, uh, she ended up uh, having a, a coworker 
whose boyfriend was the bass player in a rap metal band. And that was, you know, again, you got to remember, this was like, you know, mid nineties, mm -hmm. rap metal was pretty much the steez for a lot of people too. <laughs> and so it's like, Oh, I met this super awesome person and we need to go hang out and they're a couple and we're a couple and we were all just, you know, in our young twenties and doing our thing and we met him and it was super fun. And like, you know, but what we really like to do when he's not playing shows, when we go out, we like to go to raves. <laughs> I grew up my whole life being the punk rock skater and snowboarder kid when we first started hearing about raves we just made fun of that stuff all the time <laughs> eh, eh, eh. rave tail dawn <laughs> yeah exactly we just totally make fun of it all we didn't know anything about it we didn't know anything it's all super skeptical and really hard for me to get get rid of that that attitude snowboard skateboard jock kind of bro bra just dickhead kind of attitude about it and uh <laughs> But they're like, hey, man, just come out with this once. Just check it out one time. And so, okay, so yeah, if you guys like it, awesome. We can do more. But if you don't like it, we still think you guys are a super rad couple. We'd love to keep hanging out with you. We'll just find other things to do. It's totally cool. So they took us out one night, and uh, there used to be an after-hours club here in Denver called Synergy. That was my religious reckoning <laughs> they brought us to this club and they knew everybody there and they introduced us to all the right people to know where was synergy oh it was uh right now it's called like the rhino district oh, okay. river north is up yeah, in there. yeah i don't remember the exact address i'm terrible with names mm -hmm. i don't remember half the <clears throat> names of the producers of the tracks i play every time i go dj anymore i don't man. remember any names at all it's just one of my my biggest shortcomings as a person i don't ever hold on to any names it takes me 17 times to remember the name of somebody i generally first meet but they took us to synergy and we get in there and they tell all the staff the door people the off-duty cop that was running the door and playing security the smart bar bartender because they used to pour smart drinks there um, everybody, it's all, all these are first timers and their VIPs take great care of them. And, uh, tell you what, after about a half hour there and being told not to drink my bottle of water too fast and having vitamin D be the DJ that I first heard changed my life forever. From that moment, I understood that music and everything just fell into place. And I found the newest, greatest, most amazing thing I thought I could think I probably ever could have discovered at that time in my life when I was searching so much for a new music for me to feel mm -hmm. and I haven't looked back ever since yeah I'm, I mean I'm the same way too from the first party I just I just got it and like the only thing cooler than thing that that I remember that moment because I mean that's dictated my so much in my life since then or pointed me in this direction and like the, like the only other thing that feels as good as that is uh giving that experience to someone else like seeing them just like that look in their eyes and they're like holy shit where have i been this this has just been going on this this feeling this vibe this how energy. did i not know how about this, know about this? oh yeah a, it was so cool amazing thing, and i i don't know where andy the 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 male guy out of that couple i don't know whatever ended up happening to him but his girlfriend at the time Dear Jamie Kent, she's a legend DJ here in Denver, too. 
She started to learn how to DJ right about the same time that I did, and I moved away. She actually stayed here, built hell of a name for herself, and she's still an amazing DJ to listen to. I have nothing bad to say about her at all. I tell people, you want a female in your lineup, you want just a good DJ, she's back in the game. And I tell people, go listen to Jamie play. She's okay. awesome, and it's so cool to me. Our sensibilities for what kind of music we like and what we choose to play are really similar. So every time that I ever get to hear her out, I just get so excited. Just be like, hell yeah, we came from the same cloth. We mm -hmm. were there at the same time. And I owe them a huge debt. They changed my life. They made me what I am today for introducing me to such an amazing scene. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and maybe not even a debt. Like I was just saying, too, it's like the only thing, the only way you can like thank them is, is, is passing it on, passing the secret on to to the people who are looking for that and have no idea they're looking for it, you know? Yeah, I've done, I've done my best. Mm -hmm. um, oftentimes I find so many people that are already into it. And I think that's kind of par for the course for me because I had already lived another life and I got into it when I was 24 years old where so many people I meet, like, yeah, man, I started raving when I was 15. Mm -hmm. Shit. I hadn't even had a drag off of a cigarette when I was 15. You know, and I was the, the little punk rock, just miscreant skateboarder. We were into property damage and pissing off security guards. It wasn't like just, it's a completely different world. Mm -hmm. And so, so many people, I always felt like not only for the first couple of years when I was fascinated by it and would ask all the dorky questions and try and approach everything from a critical mind and a, almost like an academic perspective like perspective to really learn like where did this stuff come from and mm -hmm. how did this come to be this magical thing that i've just had my first draft of mm -hmm. everyone else had already known about it forever <laughs> so i was like the, the the real dork guy that was older than all these people introducing me to it but they were so much more savvy than me you know the the one thing i'm, I'm glad about getting introduced to it being older than most everybody else is i never wore those damn jean coats <laughs> never did no never had a pair of ufos no kept kept my <laughs> kept my punk rock sensibilities about me and i always wore regular person pants <laughs> and i appreciated the people that did and i thought it was fascinating and i thought it looked cool as hell i just never could screw up the gumption to be as old as i was and start wearing shit right. like that <laughs> that makes sense man oh and for the record, I mean, if you're comfortable, how how old are you? I'm 41 years old this year. 41. And uh, just for you listeners who can't see Brian, he I've, I've told him this before. He is he looks amazing for his age. One of the one of the greatest looking 41 year olds for someone who's been at it for 18 years. <laughs> Asterisk blushes. <laughs> For sure. Well, the big thing for me is I never had a mortgage, never had kids, and I've got a great job and a great, you know, DJ passion where I haven't had to grow up and have the same worries as a lot of other people. I really think that's what it is. Mm -hmm. Makes a you lot know, of sense, I have, man. I have no no ill will or, or I don't look down on anybody that's chosen a different path of life than me. A lot mm -hmm. of my great friends have children. A lot of my great friends are property owners that are saddled with a lot of those things that I'm not. It's just never been my path mm -hmm. and that's like you know basically uh me and a couple other friends of mine i even have some friends that are older than me that look amazing for their age <laughs> and uh they're, they're in the same path as i am they're djs and they have fun and we work jobs to pay for our lives but we're not working jobs to to feel like we have to just do that to make our way in the world 
and we we've all come up with we we call it we have we all have peter pan syndrome <laughs> and i don't necessarily <laughs> think a that's a bad thing we we'll just continue living in never never land and enjoying life for the gift that it is awesome well uh well speaking of uh you looking so great uh for the people listening to this too uh you you have a lot of tattoos um what's what's your passion with uh tattoos well, or when did you get into ink my uh i i got my first tattoo 22 years ago uh always wanted it my grandpa had a tattoo on his arm uh it was the crest from the submarine that he served in mm. in the second world war and i was fascinated by that from a real real young age i was about five or six when i first saw it and he told me what it was and what it was about and how he got it when he was drunk in Honolulu right before getting in a submarine and floating under the water all the way to Tokyo to try and shoot torpedoes into Tokyo Bay. And uh, yeah, crazy stories. And it just uh, just really hit me how you can mark your body with something that shows a story or is a remembrance of something you've been through mm-hmm. or something that you aspire to. And I made all these connections when I was a little, little kid. It's like you can wear the stories of your life and things that, that mean something to you on your body. I knew when I was five or six years old that I was going to be heavily tattooed. Mm. So started getting tattooed when I was about 19. And uh, I was in college at that time. And even though I was a snowboarder and stuff, back in those years, tattoos were definitely not near as popular as they are now. You know, And so far as the scene I was in, very, very few, even like pro skaters, had any big tattoos and stuff. And one guy I've always really looked up to was Mike Vallely. Uh, big pro skater still doing things today and uh, he was the first like skater I ever saw with tattoos and I already just knew I wanted him I just started getting them and got really into that and after college and after all the the heartbreak and crazy things I ended up uh, getting invited to come work at a tattoo shop I had some other plans and dreams that I was trying to put together after college that didn't work out the way I wanted and uh, I was getting tattooed at a shop and really good friends with all the people that worked at that shop. And one of the guys that worked at that shop was one of my great friends that tattooed me in college. And, uh, he's just like, yeah, we're, we're trying to expand. And rather than hire somebody that already has the skills, uh, but maybe not to fit in with our crew, we know you've got the brains and the talent to do it. Would you want to maybe try and, you know, come on and learn how to be a piercer? And, uh, I was like, well, shit, things didn't work out for me otherwise. So let's give that a shot. So I jumped in and, I am have now been a professional body piercer and scarification artist and manager of every tattoo shop I've ever worked at for the last 16 and a half years. Right, right. That, that reminds me then, you know uh, Corey Simpson from Iowa? I don't formally know no. him. I've heard of him for oh. years and years. I had great conversations a few weeks ago with Peter Board, mm-hmm. who actually mentioned that his association with Corey mm-hmm. and told me that Corey also produces music and is a DJ and I had no clue. <laughs> so kind of funny that he and I almost share some, some yeah. similar parallels there. Small world, man, for sure. And uh, yeah, looking forward to meeting him. If we could get him out here, I'd like to see if I get him a guest spot at my shop, but in the winter time, it's just not going to be worth he it. He comes out here a lot actually doing guest spots. Yeah, looking stuff, forward so. to it. I'd like to see if I could get him a gig too and see if we could actually play some techno together. Yeah, yeah. That'd be cool, man. Yeah, he, he comes out here all the time. I'm sure we can make that happen. So, yeah, when you started, when you got into electronics, or your first party that your friends took you to, uh, what was the state of the electronic scene in, 
Colorado or what what kind of music was going on at that time? Ninety six, you said. Yeah, this is about nineteen ninety six. At that time, from what I I gathered, and again, I was still such a greenhorn and just so blindsided by it that I I don't know if I can be the most accurate historian from the the, the, the opening, but I think by about that time, raves were huge. Um, lots of big uh, companies were promoting and doing some really awesome underground parties. Soon after, I got introduced to it at uh, that after hours club. I got taken to a couple of big warehouse parties and ended up going to several, and they were all over Denver, Boulder, big outdoor parties all the way down in between Colorado Springs and Pueblo in a little town called Center, where there are parties out there, like three and a half thousand people, just out in the middle of the prairie, (laughs) giant, yeah, giant, giant sound systems, two stages, yeah, saw some of the most amazing stuff I've ever seen at a couple of those parties, too. Went to a, a party in an airplane hangar where they had carpeted the entire hangar in red plush carpet <laughs> for having party. everybody partying. <laughs> like some some pretty like outstanding stuff, you know. And funny because I uh, I got introduced to all that stuff and I ended up leaving Denver <coughs> uh, late in uh, November 1999. So I only really partied up here for a few years. And I went down to Durango, Colorado, and that's where I started working in tattoo shops and learning how to be a piercer and such. And uh, I stayed away, so I only got first, you know, a few years of the the rave scene. And from what I understand, like you know, back then, like things started petering out around '99. So far as like the really good underground parties, things started getting a little bit more commercial. Kids started getting a little bit more reckless with chemical usage and doing some things that started to really cast a negative pall on mm-hmm. the, the the perception of the scene. Um, but when I was, you know, up here in Denver and going to those early parties, the rape scene was already well established. There were kids that really knew what was going on. Lots of savvy people really opened me up to a lot of different worlds, a lot of different ideas, a lot of really amazing humans. The music that was going on was definitely house. I wouldn't call it what people these days call hard house. Cause to me, that's like cartoon music. Mm-hmm. But back then there was house music that was really soulful. And then there was like that rave house that definitely had a little bit more of a techno influence and real screwy noises and definitely big room, tripped out dance floor. And th- those parties were amazing because you'd go and hear a big lineup of DJs for 10 hours. You'd hear a big group of uh, DJs for 10 hours and they'd all be playing a different flavor. You know, now you go to parties and everybody's pretty much kind of going along the same vein. And back then you would hear Funky House. Then you would hear a guy that scratches a ton. Then you'd hear a breaks DJ. Then you would hear somebody who plays trance. And all of this all wrapped up in one party. Then they'd have a chill-out room with a couple different people playing down-tempo breaks and ambient and everything all in one party. And I think that really gave everybody a lot of appreciation for... It's like a certain feng shui almost to, to how parties used to be thrown, you know? Like absolutely. chill room, it was like the balance of everything. Yeah, and I did so many amazing parties. And like it was probably my third or fourth party... It was actually uh, in this kind of warehouse, kind of like underground, almost looked like an underground parking structure. It was like a paintball facility. So concrete, almost like a bunker. Big. And you know, people would go in there and have paintball fights and stuff. But it was covered in concrete ceiling. And we went in there, and in the main room, it was so hot and steamy. It was one of those classic scenes where it was raining off the ceiling. All the condensation... From everybody that was in there, it was a light drizzle through the whole party. Like that, that to me was magical. It's like you I can't believe this <laughs> that there's this many people all in unity in this kind of a hot environment going off, 
And I looked up, and there was this DJ. It was a guy with big dreadlocks and sunglasses on, which I couldn't understand because I could barely see it. I didn't have sunglasses on. But uh, sunglasses on and dreadlocks and this big camouflage army jacket. And he was set up on this podium DJing, and you could actually watch him once he got his records blended in. You could watch him do like one of those tricky cuts and just see him turn up the mids on one of those things and have it just be such a rush of change of sound through the whole system. And you could watch the entire crowd wave like wind blowing through a wheat field with every move and just that that psychology to see how he was using sound to jack people left and right. That was the moment where I was like, I got to do this. Puppet mastery. I, I, yeah, I, the puppet master, exactly. I got to figure out how this guy is working people so hard just with his control of the music. Before that, the first, you know, the eight or ten parties I've been to before then and nights at Synergy and such, the music was awesome and I loved the blend and the flow and how things would slowly and smoothly change. But to watch this guy do it and actually get to see his hands and watch the crowd change to how he's controlling the music, that was like, I'm going to buy some record players and I'm going to figure this out. Awesome. So that was, what year was that then? 99? Or was that, was that? That was probably uh, winter in 97, maybe? Oh, okay. Yeah, early winter, like November, maybe early December of 97, that I was at that crazy paintball bunker. Okay. And it's funny today, the guy that threw that party is now one of my friends. <laughs> Blows my mind. So, Kaz, if you ever hear this, man, thanks again. You changed my life, buddy. Amazing. Yeah. <laughs> That's awesome, dude. So... You that inspired you to get your first equipment. So what what was your first equipment? Oh, I didn't have enough money at the time, and when I got when into you that, started, yeah, yeah, you when I got into that, or... I uh, I bought a pair of Newmark turntables, and they were direct drive. They weren't belt drive, but they were weak, weak magnets. So they were really hard to get under control. And because of that, it took me longer to learn how to beat match smoothly than a lot of people that learned on some Cherry equipment, but. You know, anybody that's hungry to start anything, just get into it. Get whatever you can, figure it out. The more you struggle with bad stuff, the better you're going to just jump on to being able to work with stuff that really performs. Oh, yeah. I believe that to this day. And really, because it sucked so bad to play on those new marks, it really caused me to almost focus, I think, a little bit more on my sequencing and on my selection. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think that that's a... Uh, almost a gift the cosmos gave me oh, yeah. to struggle so bad to where when almost I finally a relationship between yeah it's year like, and a half two years later after playing on crappy new marks and figuring out how to play well on them when I got my first pair of techniques turntables it was like uh, taking the training wheels off your bike but never having any worry mm -hmm. about falling down and I just ran with it and it was amazing how quick and I, I just really felt good that it, it really made me focus on my sequencing because you can work with playing on bad gear better if you choose better tracks that go together. Mm -hmm. If you're trying to play disparate stuff on bad equipment, it's just so much harder to make things work. Yeah. So it really got me into that sequencing. Word. So what music were you playing when you started out? Oh, when I first started buying records, I bought all kinds of stuff. Because again, I was going to those raves where everybody was playing every different genre. I bought Trance on Platypus, I bought New York House on, what's the, was it Defected Records? I think Defected, yeah. Um, 
I bought breaks from DJ Crush. I bought drum and bass from DJ Crush. I bought all kinds of just different, different stuff. And obviously none of that stuff went together. And I started refining it. And uh, the first real flavor that got me was like pure house music. Mm-hmm. I remember my first favorite record I ever got that I bought was uh, Sam Mollison. And the track was called Cry For Me. And the remix was by DJ Gogo. And it was on Hooge. And oh my god, what a track. I love that track and I played the hell out of it so much. One of my friends painted Cry For Me on this oh, big old nice. graffiti canvas I've got right there. <laughs> That's bad and to too. this day, it's still, like I don't play music like that anymore, but anytime I hear it, you'll just get the sweetest, cheesiest smile come right out of me. <laughs> and uh, I uh, ended up evolving from house and got into more like tribally house. That brought me into kind of deep tribal house which led me into more progressive because that was kind of a little bit crossover flavor there, the deep tribal house back then going into progressive stuff. And then I'm talking about like a 99, 2000. And then from there on, I just really got into progressive because it, it was nice. It had the houseier beats and the good kind of pump that I really liked, but it had more of the real pretty melodies and the musicality that trance did mm-hmm. without being what I feel uh, like trance to me. It was I I've, I've always I've always looked at uh like different genres of of electronic dance music and how people get into partying. I've looked at it how how somebody that's just getting into drinking starts learning about wine. Like the real common wine for a lot of people to start just getting used to drinking, Merlot. Mm-hmm. Trance to me is the Merlot of electronic music. Makes sense. It's accessible. It opens up a lot of characteristics you'll find in other things, but it's easy for people to palate, like to, to get down and start to accept and be like, you know what, this isn't so bad. I don't have to be afraid. And you have enough Merlot after a while, and you start wondering what else is out there, you know. And then you look at Merlot, and you look at some of the other classic brands of wine, and you know, Cabernet Sauvignon. That's like just about as classic as it gets. To me, that's house music. Bordeaux, a little bit more complex, a little bit of a older, nastier history, kind of a, you know, it's like you can love a Cab Sauvignon, but not everybody's going to appreciate a really well-aged Bordeaux. Mm-hmm. That's techno. <laughs> to me, tech house is the Pinot Noir, mm-hmm. you know? I think uh, like like dubstep, a lot of the bass music people like like the the hot wine these days that everybody really loves is Malbec, and I don't like Malbec at all. It's too heavy and syrupy, too much of a big mouthfeel. To me, that's the bass music and the dubstep that that all them youngsters are liking these days. Yeah. So uh, happy hardcore would be uh, Boone's Farm. <laughs> Touche, my friend. Touche. <laughs> totally. Absolutely. Or Mad Dog. So yeah, your your style evolved. Um, when so when did CDJs come, or when did you start uh, using CDJs? Oh, or how, I, how did, did that coincide with your develop a style, or did it affect your style? I don't think it really affected my style. I play uh, what most people call techno these days, um, which really I think a lot of it is more kind of tech house. Possibly everybody wants to call whatever. You know, I'm not I'm not the arbiter of the names. I'm not the guy sitting in the magic room like the Wizard of Oz saying, this shall be called techno. <laughs> um, 
but I, I made my name and really progressed as a DJ playing progressive house. And that's what allowed me to actually travel overseas and travel around the country playing shows all over the United States. And I, I still have a soft spot for what my impression of progressive house used to be. But uh, I really, I refused. I put off CDJs. All the guys I was DJing with were carrying around light-ass books of CDs while I was still getting on planes with heavy old record boxes. And I was, you know, hauling big gear and doing all this stuff. And I put it off and put it off because the romance of records, man. I loved ordering records. Living in a small town like Durango, we didn't have a local record store I could go to like when I lived in Denver where you could shop in person. But I mean, I got to the point where I, I was disappointed with what most of the the United States and the, the North American record stores were carrying. So I ordered from Fonica and from Juno over in the UK. And yeah. then any weird little, you know, small bit that I'd hear about from somebody that I couldn't find, I'd get on Gem and go, you know, track down a single copy of some record in some obscure record shop in Stuttgart or what mm-hmm. have you. And uh, I just, uh, I just love the romance of records. And I'm such a visual person. I also, uh, I attained a learning disability. I, I got a head injury when I was 16 in high school, uh, skateboarding. Mm-hmm. Uh, went off a flight of seven stairs and got like rock bite on the skateboard wheel Oof. right as I landed my trick and whipped down and hit my head hard enough to fracture my skull and knock me out and didn't breathe without assistance for about like, 22 minutes Oof, without shit. CPR. And I uh, got brain damage and basically screwed up my neural, like visual to language processing pathways, mm. according to the neurologist. So I uh, went from being a really smart, almost page at a glance reader kid in high school to having to relearn how to read and write. Wow. So I'm dyslexic to this day. And uh, that's one of the things I love about music is it's not about reading. It's about feeling. Mm-hmm. And when you have records in a record box, you put the black sleeve in front of the one with the pink sleeve that's got the orange sticker on it from the shop that you bought it at over here in Los Angeles. And, you know, just like everything is a visual assortment. And I just love that so much. And CDs just seem so sterile to me. And so Mm. I I put it off for a long, long time and ended up finally kicking down and bought myself a couple of CDJs and started trying to do it and had to find my own system about how I wrote on all my CDs to where I could Mm. still have that juxtaposition. I've got friends that can put 12, 13 tracks on one CD and just have like little words and know exactly what it is. And that to this day, it mystifies me. I can't do that. Yeah. So on CDs, I still write one track per disc and I'll put the key and I'll put the artist and the title and any remixer. And I still put the label on it too. Cause I want to remember with that association, what label mm-hmm. everything is on. And I know a lot of people that put, all that other stuff on there. They don't keep all that info and maybe it's not important to them. But for me, I saw also it's that romance. I have respect for what label is putting everything out. So I want to mm-hmm. see it on every track I play. So just in case some little train spotter dude comes up to me and goes, Oh my God, what was that track? I can show him the disc and they've got all the info. It's like, dude, go check this out. I'm glad you like it. Mm-hmm. I don't ever want to be a guy that hides those tracks anymore. Totally. You know, Grant, I used to be uh I used to be in a couple of record promo groups because I was getting to travel and play a lot of shows and stuff. Mm-hmm. And so I've got it in my vinyl collection. I've got a hefty amount of white labels and 
things like that that no one else is going to get. Seriously, yeah. like 150 or 200 press little runs Wicked. of some great tracks. But these days, I don't want to be a train spotter. Artists aren't making enough money on the music they're releasing. So if I can share it with anybody and you can find it and you'll buy that track, please go check out what I played for you. Absolutely. And yeah. so I, I've put it off and put it off and fought it. I started kind of comboing doing about 50% vinyl and 50% CD right around uh, maybe 2006. It's like, it took me a while to get into the CD thing. Mm -hmm. And it was maybe finally about 2008 or 2009 which i finally switched over to being 100 percent digital mm -hmm. and just playing cds and quit buying vinyl so how do you feel about uh tractor and serato i mean have you dabbled with using that or how do you feel about using it or... i've got dj buddies that use it and i've gone on and like played their tracks through those programs i personally didn't care too much for serato i felt just for me and my understanding of computers for for my intuition i felt like tractor was a little bit more intuitive a little bit more effective but uh if you know to me anymore being a dj because there's so many technological options controllers software programs vinyl cd usb drive like whatever mm -hmm. i i talk a lot about this with jan van leer and i totally agree with him it really doesn't matter what you play. You're going to play what you're comfortable with. If it helps you to organize your thoughts and be a better creative deliverer to give your audience a better dance floor experience and help sculpt the night, it doesn't matter. Mm -hmm. I personally didn't like Serato. I like Tractor a little bit better, but to me it almost felt like cheating because it just did so much for me that I like playing on CDJs because it's still pure mixing with no chance of anything to be synced up without yeah. your ear and your mind There's making it happen. I love the room for error. Mm -hmm. I like my buddy Nutmeg here in town. You know, same mm -hmm. thing with him. He still likes to do that too. It's like, I like to know I can still screw up. Yeah. I like that because that's what keeps me on point. That's what gives me the adrenaline. The and that's what keeps act. me engaged yeah. in the mix. Absolutely. And I, I believe in that entirely. If you like to play on a controller and all your stuff is synced, I think if you sync all your stuff up, it's a little bit cheating unless you're syncing it because you've got so many little samples chopped up that you're actually going to do more of like a live remix performance. Or if you're playing like four tracks at once. Yeah, you know, like and I understand that. Like when you're really blending all sorts of disparate elements, there's a there's a purpose. I personally don't do that. I like the old school Danny Tanaglia kind of flavor where – Two records where a certain record serves as the breakdown for your set, not really milking every breakdown in every track you play. Yeah, absolutely. You know, so I, I have my way that I like to do it, and that's the great thing about DJing. Everyone can have their own voice, and it's not really up to me to judge. If you're some, you know, new kid, and everything is synced up, and you're just basically tacking things together, and almost just more basically segueing from one track to the next, you suck, and you shouldn't be able to play out until you've learned a little bit more about the craft of it. Mm -hmm. But the craft has evolved so much with what technological tools are available that I don't really feel like I can judge too much unless you just abjectly suck. Yeah. If you're not doing anything but being a jukebox, yeah, I might pour my beer on you. Mm -hmm. But otherwise, dude, show me what you got because I do my thing and it's not your thing. Teach me. Yeah. Let me see what you have to offer. So I'm, I'm pretty open to all of that. Yeah, definitely. It's, it's, 
kind of switch gears here. What uh, how how do you feel the the scene in Denver has evolved over the years? Are there high points or low points that, that stick out? Or uh, I mean, because you've just been here, you've been. I. I think that any scene's going to go through some highs and lows and some ebbs and flows with things. I, again, like I, I got introduced to the rave scene and electronic music when I lived in Denver. And then I moved away in late 99 and I didn't come back until December of 2008. So I was gone for almost a decade. Yeah. yeah and true. I would come up there, actually road trip with friends to come up and see certain DJs play. Mm -hmm. and come up and party. We had friends up in school or friends that had jobs where we just want to come hang out for a little while. So I had weekends up here mm -hmm. and saw some really cool bits. Um, used to be an awesome after hours club 2 a.m. that I don't I don't think is really functioning anymore. Mm -hmm. I haven't really looked into it because there's just been too many other fun diversions. Yeah. But there were good things going on. And uh, like I said, I, I kind of just got the impression when I was still real wet behind the ears with the whole rape scene, you know, 96 through 99. I hear some other kids that definitely got into it earlier than I did that they were like, yeah, you know, things are starting to get lame. Younger kids are coming. Everybody's just getting on drugs, laying down on the floor. There's not that unity and that, that mutual love and respect. And like, look at what this special thing we all get to witness right here. When it started losing that, I already started getting that impression by the time that I left. And uh, funny enough, so many different people live in a little town like Durango that we actually had a really cool scene that was very disparate. We had a kid from the Chicago that played Chicago House was awesome. We had a kid from Racine, Wisconsin that was in a kind of almost like more of a hip house flavor. We had a couple of awesome drum and bass kids. We had a couple of really cool progressive house kids. A couple of Durango locals that had only ever lived in a tiny ass mountain town that got turned on to DJing and developed really great voices for themselves. So we had a fun scene down there, and we actually ended up getting a lot of really awesome parties going on where we could fill an you know, independent little movie theater slash concert venue down in Durango with 350 people once a month on a Friday night. I had to do a residency down there once a month. That's and awesome. we Yeah, we hit awesome parties that would match or even surpass some of the Fusion Factory gigs I've done. Mm -hmm. you know, so I've seen that for the Denver scene. Things, you know, kind of up and down. The first year and a half that I lived here, I wasn't really even looking to DJ. Mm -hmm. I just moved to a new town, looking to get my feet, like, really planted solid on the ground with gainful employment, working at a new tattoo shop, just really focusing my energies a lot of different things. And uh, went out and saw these different parties and went to different club nights around town. And one of my good friends, one of the greatest guys I respect in the whole scene, it's definitely legendary in denver is kenton nutmeg shavi he's mm -hmm. one of my greatest buds of all time i have so much respect admiration appreciation for him and started going out to a weekly he was doing on tuesdays and that was a great night for me to go out and it was a great night of music and it was kind of a service industry night so everything was free it was at the funky buddha and uh, after I'd been going to this party for about a year there, like as many Tuesdays as I could, he actually ended up asking me to be a resident there. Oh, and uh, I played with Nutmeg a couple times down in Durango. I brought him down from Denver to play oh, down nice. there. That's how we actually forged our friendship. And uh, it's just been amazing. And what year was that then? Uh, that I brought him down to Durango. Or that, that? Or that I started resi being resident at Funky Buddha. Yeah, it was just the interactions with Nutmeg, and he was doing his Tuesday. I had just got back from a trip DJing in Amsterdam. 
and flew back through Denver and had some friends drive up from Denver, uh, from Durango to pick me up. And uh, we went through the Snake Pit. Now it's uh, called the Beauty Bar. But they used to, one of the old legendary places for house and drum and bass in Denver was a bar called the Snake Pit. And Nutmeg was used to be a, a bartender there as well as DJing there. And uh, I got picked up from the airport from a couple of my friends that drove up from Durango to get me. And uh, we stopped in there and I saw him like, dude, I've seen you play at parties. It's awesome. Check this out. We've got this really cool scene down in Durango. And I actually have a residency once a month at this really nice venue. And I would love to bring you down sometime and have you play. What would you charge me? And we just talked it through. And about a month later, I brought him down and he crushed everyone. And it was amazing. And he had a good time. And I had a great time. And I worked really hard to make sure that he was well hosted and all of our equipment worked and stuff like that. And it could have been done better. I was, I'm definitely not a promoter. I, mm. I don't have the shtick. Like, I know I have the skills, but I don't really have the shtick or the desire to be the guy that gets all the equipment and does all that. It's that logistic stuff. Yeah, it's, it's yeah, better. Yeah. It's a lot of work, man. Yeah. <laughs> and it's just not something that I, I, I really excel at. But I brought him down. He had a good time and then uh, got a, a better residency at a better venue down in Durango. And this is when the scene down there, people loved house music and they loved progressive house. And everybody was really into it. And we were smart. We did it once a month. We didn't do it any more than that. So just once every 30 days. You could go into this venue that was an actual independent movie theater where you could move all the seats out and have a giant dance floor. And we could set up DJing in this place with a beautiful sound system. And uh, people could feel like they were in a nightclub in a big city once a month in this little mountain town. And we used to kill it. And I brought him down. Uh, There's another beautiful soul of a person, awesome DJ that actually helped kind of bring up all of electronic music in Denver guy by the name of Byron Holstein. Uh, rest in peace, Byron. Uh, he's mm. since passed away a few years ago, long battle with cancer. Yeah. But a great friend and amazing DJ and super awesome guy. Brought him down a couple of times. Kent actually brought him down the first time oh, cool. that Kent played. And that's how I got actually to know Byron and actually asked him back down again. But yeah, I started to develop that Durango-Denver kind of connection and had some good times that's cool that that definitely reminds me of the the vibe of the parties in iowa when i mean i got into partying i mean you wouldn't think that iowa would have like a scene that is worth anything or like the music they're playing is probably garbage but some of the best parties and best music i've ever heard i've always heard the midwest of the united states by the time (laughs) rave culture hit them especially with the, the close access of chicago and detroit the, the Midwest of the United States has always been super strong. And mm-hmm. sure, their flavor of music might have been really different than what you were hearing on either coast. Mm-hmm. And I really feel like Denver's a little bit more influenced by both the East and West Coast than they have been by the Midwest. But I, I've always had mad respect for everything I've read or heard about the Midwest. I've played some shows in the Midwest mm-hmm. where people ate me up. Back when I was a progressive house DJ, I played Cleveland, Cincinnati, Des Moines, yeah, it's it's like the closest big cities, like actual big cities, like Chicago, Minneapolis, Kansas City, St. Louis, whatever, is is you know a four hour drive to go to to that that big city vibe. So we we just kind of had to create our own thing, you know, amongst the cornfields, so to speak, and 
And, I mean, that's all we had there. I mean, it's Iowa. There's there's not a whole lot to do besides, you know, tipping a few cows, maybe working on the farm. And, like, all there is to do is party. And and we would, the craft of, of DJing that the people, the, le- the, the level of competency and ability that, the people that are coming out of Iowa have it. It's it's pretty mind blowing, man. I mean, especially think, coming to the big city, it's just like wow. I, I think anywhere you go where people are passionate about DJing, they're gonna be great at what they do. But I think also in these smaller places where you don't have the access, you've got a lot of downtime where all you're gonna do is sit down and obsess over and mm-hmm. perfect your craft. Absolutely. I feel really actually very blessed that I started trying to DJ when I was up in Denver, and then when I moved away to Durango. There was a scene there, but when I got there, I was not adept, and there were people there from other places that were far better than I, and it made me really hungry, number one, because they didn't have parties all the time. Now in Denver, it's exhausting. Oh, you can't There's amazing up, music and amazing <laughs> talent four nights a week. At least. Yeah, you can't, like, you have to be independently wealthy to be able to go out and support everything that you want to do every week. And you got to pick and choose because there'll be three things going on. <laughs> yeah, it's amazing here. But when I We're when I came up, for sure. we, we didn't have that many things. It wasn't even every weekend that you could have something going on. Mm-hmm. And so it, it made you hungry for it. It made everybody that much more excited when those things would go and actually occur. And it gave you a lot more downtime to really just... You know, put yourself in a room. I'm a big reader. And Charles Bukowski is one of my favorite authors. Uh, and he... This is not a poem. He had a quote. He had a quote, basically, uh, that was actually in a poem, that if you want to learn how to write, you need to lock yourself in a room and work it out. Because no one else can help you. People can give you some ideas. People can give you support. But you're never going to be a writer unless you lock your ass in a room and work it out. And I feel like DJing is the same thing. And that's what living in Durango gave me is so much time to be by myself and obsess and play my records over and over and over again and grind that out until I really had a good sense of it. And I know people in cities do that too. I'm not saying being from a place like, you know, far away in the Midwest or in a little mountain town in Colorado is the way to be the best DJ. Because mm-hmm. there's amazing DJs up here that came up in that scene. I feel like they maybe got a little bit more exposure where they could start to get adept and actually start getting into parties mm-hmm. and playing parties more. But still, just a, just amazing opportunities for, for me where I was in my life that actually really helped sculpt me to be somebody that focuses on technical mixing skill. And also really gives me that, that sense of, like I said before, sequencing and selection. Absolutely. Completely, man. So you had mentioned uh, you'd been to Amsterdam, and or, I mean, you, you've traveled and DJed all over. Uh, yeah, where, where is DJing and the music taking you? Like, what, what? Well, that's a really lucky thing for me. From being in a, a little place like Durango, Colorado, Durango is a really magical place. Uh, if you've never been there, go check it out. It's more than just a little tourist trap up in the mountains with some skiing and some about mountain biking. How far from Telluride is it? Uh, it's about two hours from Telluride. I think it's way cooler than Telluride, personally. Mm-hmm. But uh, it's a really transient town. There's a there's a river. It's like Durango means river town in Spanish. Oh, really? 
And uh, there's a river that runs through there. And Durango's all built in this little river valley. The river's name is Rio de los Animas Perdidas, which means the river of lost souls. Oh, wow. And it's a crazy little place that will pull transients and drifters and people that are just kind of on a wandering, discover life kind of mission into this place. And some people will stay and gravitate there. Other people will be there for a while and then venture on. But uh, met so many amazing people from all over. And uh, so it led me to a lot of opportunities. Before I played overseas, I got the chance where I met some awesome people through the tattoo industry and people that were friends with with my employer at the time at the tattoo shop down in Durango. Go, Matt Rousseau! Um, that, uh, like, I met uh, the super rad guy DJed by the name Chaos, a guy named Corey from South Florida, Fort Lauderdale. And he's done some pretty awesome stuff. Uh, he got me in, got me a couple of connections, and then before you knew it, I started getting a couple of shows down in South Florida, and then I got a couple of shows in Boston, and Dallas, and Phoenix, and then Los Angeles, and smaller parties. I was never big name. I would be the guy that was opening or closing for the big names on the rave circuit back then. Mm. I was never super hot shot guy, and that was okay for me. Like, being back as a pro snowboarder, I was never super hot shot guy. I was the B-team rider. I got paid, and I got all the fun gear, but I was never the Sean White of my era, mm-hmm. by far. And I'm okay with that, because again, just like the opening set or the closing set of a DJ night, every spot's got its purpose. And that was cool. But then, uh, yeah, I met a couple of really rad Dutch people that liked and they'd heard me in Durango, and they invited me over. It's like, you, you know, we can't pay your ticket, but we can pay you to play our club if you come back over there. And so I bought a goddamn ticket to Amsterdam. <laughs> Damn right you and did. DJ'd a couple nights over there. And uh, what were they doing in Durango skiing? Or oh yeah, man, people from Europe they just they they have a better sense of travel and appreciating the whole world than I think a lot of people in that the United makes a States lot of do. Sense. And yeah, they'll go and check these out. And Durango's famous, man. It's got a really good vibe. And yeah. It's a really beautiful spot. Um, but yeah, I, I'm doing there and. Uh, I DJed in San Sebastian, Spain. Nice. I DJed in Pamplona, Spain. And uh, funny thing, when I also had this little residency down in Durango, uh, re-ran into a, a couple of friends that I had when I was in college that just knew me as a big snowboard jock face guy. <laughs> and they were real big into kayaking, and they ended up building a, a, a kayaking gear company. I mean, like the, the skirts that you seal yourself into the kayak with and the mm. dry tops and the rash guards and all the, the gear that kayakers use. And uh, they got big enough in the U.S. that labor started to get a little too expensive for them, so they decided to relocate their manufacturing to Thailand. And they ended up going over there and setting up their business, and they got to know Thailand really well as they were running their company out of Bangkok. And they came back to the United States for a visit, yeah. and came back to where they went to college down in Durango, and ran into me on one of my DJ nights. Oh my God, Brian, remember us? <laughs> Boom. I got a residency at Q Bar and at Bed in Bangkok, Thailand for a month. <laughs> it's The DJ scene's who you know, man. Banging techno in Bangkok. <laughs> that was a, that was still a little proggy, dreamy guy back then. and yeah. It was hard, you know. There's a lot of clubs that we would go visit there. The Thai people, they like hard house. They like 
the cartoony weird bong 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 kind of music. Yeah, it's like I when I was over there, I called it dink dink, because every everywhere every club you went to that was like was all like frequented by all the Thai locals. Ding 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 ding. Spaceballs Jawa. Oh my god, it was so so yeah, it was so awful, and I hated it. And I would go there and. You know, we'd go out to party on nights I wasn't playing. Like, yeah, I'm drunk and I care and whatever. We'd go in these places like, God, this is ridiculous music. But, you know, more power to them. If that's what they're into, that's what they're into. Mm-hmm. But I didn't like being there. Yeah. But uh, Bed was a high society type club. It's a little bit more metropolitan, cosmopolitan, I guess would be the word for it. Uh, definitely more influenced by international stuff. And got to play sets there for a lot of high society type people and a lot of expatriate kind of travelers from all over the world. And uh, Q-Bar was definitely expatriate club ground zero. Right now, Kimball Collins is a resident at Q-Bar. Like permanent resident. Oh, wow. Yeah, where he plays there all the time. I got to be a resident there for a month and do a bunch of gigs there. (laughs) And uh, every night I'd go there and all these expats would be hanging out with all their Thai friends and stuff. And every night that I would get on, I'd have to go on a fishing expedition and play a big wide variety of different stuff to kind of see what people were first going to start gravitating to that night, mm-hmm. then build them into my thing and spend, you know, if I got a three or three and a half hour set, my first hour would be fishing. My second hour would be building into what I wanted to do. So the last hour I could play what the hell I wanted to play and really jack them. Mm. But good experience to play to, you know, a crowd from another culture oh, yeah. or many cultures. There were people from Dubai, Australia, New Zealand, Saudi Arabia, England, Ireland, United States. Like all these different people were coming up and telling me, hey, would you play more of this? Would you play more of that? Plus what you actually have to witness watching people on that dance floor. So mm-hmm. invaluable education to go on those fishing oh, expeditions yeah. to see what people are going to latch on to and then develop that. And if you do it artfully, you can bring them through enough stuff that they accept to where you finally can get them into what you yeah. feel your voice mm-hmm. and your groove is. So I feel really, yeah, really grateful for key. those those opportunities. Yeah, that's a really good exercise, man. Playing, playing what they want to hear, or what, and and then working in what they need to hear. Like, yeah, I mean, which is your voice, you know? Like, yeah. And then, and then them like opening their eyes and being like, "Holy shit! I didn't even know I liked this. What the fuck is this?" <laughs> yeah, yeah. That led me off. I I got to play a, a full moon party on Copenhagen Island, mm. which is insane. And I got to play a, a private party. There's a little island. I think it's called Kotao, but I think I might have that wrong. It's a really tiny island. It's actually private. It just has one little resort on it. You actually, when you go and take the ferry to that island, mm-hmm. you're bringing all your fresh water for your whole trip oh, wow. with your party there. There's no <laughs> fresh water. And it's just this island with a couple of general like community area, like dining areas, a bunch of little bungalows, and a bunch of giant freaking peacocks all over this island. And I DJ'd a private party for this big group of like financiers, like all these expat people from the U.S. and the U.K. that all worked in Bangkok and in Singapore. And once a year, they do this little party called Foundation. Ah. (laughs) And uh, they got me on and wanted me to do that. So I did that. That's awesome, man. So 
Yeah, got to play a bunch of really cool experiences over there too. Hell yeah, all over the world, dude. It's yeah. so cool. So, so along those lines, what uh, do you do? You have any like uh, stories that stick out, or or think shit you saw that like you, you'll just never forget? Like just in all your years of experience, just I've seen so much crazy stuff. Yeah. <laughs> a lot of it. A lot of it really is, yeah, people, you know, number one, it's the culture and the, the sense of freedom that, you know, really good parties will, will offer people, and definitely you combine that with the fact that people will get into whatever chemical propensities they may have, mm-hmm. but I mean, I, I, I went just as a witness once, I went to Las Vegas for a conference for piercing, and ended up going to the old nightclub Raw that they had in the Luxor, and uh, Steve, Steve, what's his name, Bedrock guy, Steve... I'm so bad with names all the time. I know who you're talking about on Bedrock. Yeah, everybody Steve. will that hears this and be like, you dummy, you yeah. don't know his damn name. But <laughs> anyway, he was no, playing at Raw, and these two people just started humping straight up, having sex right up against the edge of the stage in front of everyone, <laughs> to the point where camera crews came in, were shining a spotlight on them, and they looked at the lights. And just kind of like, ah, oh, okay. And they kept banging right there. <laughs> like, that to me was like, that was pretty nuts. You know, I'm, I'm all about sex. That's pretty cool stuff, too, next to techno. But I would never do it in front of a, a dance floor full of people in a giant nightclub in Las Vegas. You know, I've, yeah. seen, I've seen people catch themselves on fire. I've seen people be so tripped out that they, they couldn't figure out how to put their arm through the sleeve of a t-shirt for like 25 minutes. <laughs> I've seen the most beautiful people dancing the most beautiful way I've ever seen in my life. So many times on beaches, in nightclubs, in warehouses. Like really, like even more than the, the crazy stuff. And like a lot of people here think I'm a little crazy and that I'm always out and just being a big lush and such. <laughs> so a lot of this I, I might I might kind of keep to myself just in the interest of not incriminating any more than my, my normal public persona may do. But uh, regardless of even all the crazy stuff I've personally done and all my friends have done, because I'm a pretty punk rock kid still, even though I'm down for the techno now. I think just the, the beauty is more important to me than the crazy stuff. Yeah. To see people having a good time, truly enjoying themselves, seeing people that are obviously connoisseurs, aficionados mm-hmm. of electronic music, getting into it, and you watch that one person that's been so just like, yeah, this is okay the whole night. The minute certain beat drops or a certain sound comes in, you watch them slowly, softly close their eyes. The lips purse up a little bit. Mm-hmm. And they raise that one hand to just be, yeah, yeah. Mm, that's good. That is what gives me my emotional boner for this scene mm-hmm. still to this day. Absolutely. And yeah, you can, I mean, you go to show, I mean, for the most part, you go to shows hoping that you have that experience. And I mean, you're not going to get it every time, but. For the most part, I mean, if if everything is right and it's, I mean, the the right music or, I mean, in the right crowd or whatever, you, you will see someone experiencing that. And seeing someone experiencing that is, is like, enough, you know? Like, As a I, performer, I wish I could, that's I the biggest reward. Through, yeah, absolutely. Like, you know, obviously I love to have a full dance floor of everybody just raging. Mm-hmm. That's the biggest, most best reward. That's what everybody aspires to. Yeah. 
But even if you don't have a packed floor and you're playing an opening set, or you're playing a night that just didn't really hit it, to get a couple of people where you really see they're like, yeah, I am down for this. This is good. Mm-hmm. You know, I played shows. The November 1st show that you came to see, there were maybe 15, 20 people in the room when you were there watching me play. Mm-hmm. A couple of tracks I dropped. I don't know where. I don't know who did it, but I heard people, woo! Great. Damn it. Somebody really likes what I just chose to present you tonight. Mm-hmm. That's affirming enough. Yeah. That's a real pleasure. Well, fuck, man. We are, we're pushing almost an hour and 20 here, so I mean, I could do this for hours with you. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, it's been cool talking to you, dude. What, what, uh, where can people find you online? I know that you're developing your internet presence, but, uh, this is kind of cool that. On can, SoundCloud can... and on MixCloud, I am under the name Brian S. That is my DJ name. My real name is Brian Stevens, but I've always DJed e- under ESS. ESS right. on SoundCloud and MixCloud. I spell it like the dead mouse, but <laughs> I actually chose that before I ever even heard of him, so I am not going to claim copycat status. Nana, nana, boo, boo, stick your head in the So, Brian, E55, <laughs> on either SoundCloud or MixCloud. You can find me there. Look soon for an artist page on Facebook under the same moniker with links to all the new sets that I'm working on. And if it's not there, hound him because any, hound and hound and hound. Yeah. Yeah. Send him some evil mess, not evil. And uh, but... <laughs> here, here and there, uh, Denver's so stacked with talent. There's so many amazing DJs that I respect, appreciate, love to go see. I am definitely not very near the top of the totem pole at all. But, uh, now and again, if you're in Denver, Colorado and you get the chance to, uh, See what we got going on. I've been very fortunate to play shows at Milk Bar, Bar Standard, Funky Buddha, Fusion Factory, Beta. Uh, uh, lots I'll, of parties anywhere anybody wants to have me play. I'm definitely down to jump in and do yeah. it. And also, yeah, that's it's kind of kind of under wraps right now, but we'll just I'll just let you know and let you know that uh, uh, we're having me and my girlfriend are having a big birthday bash on uh, January. Third, which is right in between my, our birthdays, because hers is the twenty sixth of December and mine's the eighth, so we're having a a party. And uh, Brian, I would love for you to play again. It'll I be, would love to play your our party. Kind of anniversary thing. I'm down to DJ anytime, shit, so. anywhere. I'm Hell always yeah. buying new tracks. Always excited to share new feelings and flavors with everybody. Love to do it anytime. Awesome, awesome. And, and do you do you have any gigs lined up? coming up or, uh, or November, you said you're laying yeah, low but i'm uh, laying low whatever. for the month of november uh waiting to see a couple of things i've got in the pipe but are not confirmed for december and uh hopefully i'll get something really good going on for new year's eve yeah last year i had the good fortune of playing uh the hometown heroes party at the funky buddha which honestly in my opinion is one of the best most quality parties in denver for new year's eve they do it every so year. many big acts uh this will be like, i think the fourth year that they've done it oh, wicked. but it's all local djs it's at the Funky Buddha, so it's free, and uh, it's two floors of music with like five DJs per floor for your New Year's Eve entertainment, and it's amazing. I got to do it last year. I was the opener, and I had the really good fortune and the pleasure of seeing no one there all the way to a completely packed dance floor in my first hour and a half opening set, and I really <laughs> look forward to nice. hoping to do that again. So, Kent, if you hear this, keep me in mind, buddy. Hell yeah. Uh... Cool, yeah, I, I think that kind of covers everything, man. Uh, thanks again for coming on here, and thanks again for being such a fucking cool dude. And 
Really Thanks cool a lot to, for having me. Yeah, really cool to learn about your past and the snowboarding and all that. And For all y'all listening out there, I hope you enjoy the set to follow. Yeah, absolutely. Is uh, Yeah, that's what we can close on. What, uh, what, what do you plan on for this mix that we're about to drop? I like to do a lot of opening sets and middle sets and closing sets, but uh, for you guys, I've really prepared uh, my big peak hour drive-in techno, let's get sweaty on the dance floor kind of style. Awesome. And uh, yeah, thanks again, Brian. And uh, without further ado, here's Brian Stevens in the mix.
Thanks again for tuning in this week, guys, and thanks to Brian for coming on the podcast. My next guest coming up in a couple weeks will be Christopher James, who recently relocated to Denver from Miami, where he was involved with the electronic scene for over a decade, so definitely looking forward to talking to him about the experience of living in that environment. Hope you all have a good Thanksgiving. I myself will be heading down to Orlando for my family's first big Disney trip, so I'm sure I'll come back with some stories uh, for the next episode of the podcast. Have a good one, and we'll talk to you in two weeks, guys.